greatly to be praised. My name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. As was said earlier by my wife, it is our pleasure and our privilege to have each and every one of you joining us via live stream. We also are thankful for all of you who are with us in this room on this day. This morning, we begin a new series in the book of Matthew. So if you would grab your Bibles, your device, and turn or swipe to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. While you are turning there, let me express on behalf of my family, our gratitude for your love, your care, your concern, your gifts. Thank you for your prayers over these last several weeks as we've battled COVID-19 and its complications. You definitely made a difference and our ability to endure and recover. So from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you for how you loved on us these last couple of weeks. Also, while you are turning there to Matthew chapter number one, I want to remind you all that we do have a Christmas tree that we have set out to be a blessing to our missionaries. And it is our prayer and our hope that you would prayerfully consider joining us and blessing our missionaries. We have five families across the globe that we partner with. And so I'm asking for you to do one of a couple of things. Number one, all of us can write a note of encouragement to our missionaries who are administering in the midst of a pandemic, who are having to deal with the economic and financial changes. And so would you just do me a favor and write to them a note of encouragement in this season? You can send that note to Emily at Emily at the bridge, Wichita.com. Something else that you can do is you can actually donate. We want to bless our missionaries during this season. And so we would ask that you would donate. You can go online and give there. Um, and there should be a fund there for missions. So we ask that you would do that so that we can be a blessing to our missionaries during this holiday season. Matthew chapter number one. We'll begin with verse number one. And we'll go through verse number 17. As is our custom here at the Bridge Church, I would ask that you would stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Matthew one. Verse number one, the book of the genealogy 
of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage, Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, if we were honest with one another, these are typically verses that we skim or skip over. It's just a list of names. If we were reading the King James Version, all we would read is so-and-so beget this person, and they beget that person, and they beget this person. It's just a bunch of begets. Honestly, probably the only people that read genealogies are those who are going through the Bible in a year. 
And we do it because we like to complete things. Why in the world, if you were writing a story, would you begin your story with a bunch of, uh, with a list of names? If you were writing a world-changing novel, why would you begin with a genealogy? That's a great question. Matthew, the author of this book, is doing something specifically. Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, wants to make clear one message. Jesus is king. What you have to understand about genealogies is they were very important to every Israelite. The, the genealogies said who you were and where you came from. Your lineage determined your inheritance, land rights, who could serve as a priest, it determines status, power, and rank. So knowing your lineage was essential as a Jew. If a king is to be heralded as a king, then there had to be proof that said king came from the royal line. And so Matthew has one specific aim in this genealogy. To lay out the pedigree of Jesus as the rightful heir of the throne of David. G Matthew has one message to us. Jesus is the true king. Let's look clearly, let's look here for a few moments at a couple of theological lessons that Matthew teaches us in this genealogy. First of all, Matthew teaches us that Jesus fulfills the promises of God. Jesus fulfills the promises of God. He opens our passage, Matthew chapter 1, he says that this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That word genealogy is good, uh, genesis in the Greek. It's where we get the same word genesis. The author, Matthew is, always, is already showing us that Jesus is the beginning of a new creation. He is Jesus Christ, and then he immediately says he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. Let's, let, let's take a moment and look at these. He's the son of David. Most Jews, when they heard or read th these words, son of David, they would immediately notice this as a royal title. 
This was the title of a king. How do we know this? Look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse number 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse number 12. This is the Lord speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, listen to this, forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The Lord here is speaking about two Different people. One, he's talking about Solomon, David's son. It would be Solomon who would build a temple, a house for God, the dwelling place of God. But he's also talking about somebody else, a greater son of David, because whoever he's talking about says they are going to have a forever kingdom. So, it is clear from this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that a son of David, a descendant of David, would reign on the throne over Israel. This is what is known as the Davidic covenant. This is one of two crucial covenants in the Bible. By the way, covenants are the storyline of the Bible. And this Davidic covenant God says there will always, there will be a son of David that reigns forever. God makes this promise to David that someone from his line will reign on his throne forever. Thus, Matthew is telling us loud and clear that Jesus is the great son of David. Jesus fulfills the Davidic covenant. Jesus is the forever king, the eternal king. He is the rightful heir to the royal throne. Matthew wants us to know that, that the long-awaited king has arrived. This is huge. This is a big deal for his original audience. Because remember, there had been Hundreds of years of silence. God had stopped speaking. The prophets were no longer giving a word from the Lord. God was giving his people the silent treatment. They were exiled, scattered around the, the, the land, and, 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 but they were waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them. They weren't living under the oppression of, of, of Rome. And what they were looking for was a savior, a deliverer. And Matthew, by calling Jesus the son of David, is saying to them, your long-awaited Messiah King has arrived. So you call him the son of David. You say he is the heir to the throne, 
But there's still a credential that needs to be established. For him to be the king of Israel, he needed to be an Israelite, a Jew, a Hebrew. So if Jesus is going to claim to be the king, and if Matthew makes the claim that Jesus is king, Matthew proved to us that he's a Jew. Well, that's immediately what he does. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Here it is, son of Abraham. Abraham, we know him as the patriarch of the Jewish people. God particularly called Abram to be the progenitor of his special people. And so God calls Abram and he makes another covenant. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. Look with me at Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse number one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this Abrahamic covenant, God promises to Abraham land, seed, and blessing. Abrahamic covenant. And so Matthew is making it very clear that Jesus is the son of Abraham, thus a true Israelite. It is through Jesus that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Jesus, then, is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So it is clear in one verse, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, what Matthew wants us to know, this is his claim. Jesus is the Messiah King who brings the blessing of Abraham to all people. I think there's also another lesson for us. When, as we look at Jesus, who fulfills both the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, what we see, beloved, is Jesus is the very proof that God is a promise keeper. Beloved, in Jesus, we see the faithfulness of God. In Jesus, we have reason for our hope that God will come through on every one of his promises. In Jesus, we see the fulfillment of God's promises. Though they may be delayed in our eyes, they are never forgotten by God. So Jesus fulfills the very promises of God. But this genealogy teaches us something else. Before I tell you what it actually is, let's, let me say this. As we look at this genealogy, there are surprises. Let, let me see. Maybe some of you can identify with this. We all have some family members that we desire to keep under wraps. We don't tell others about our relation to certain family members. It's not good for the family name. 
or our individual reputation. And what we, will, what we learn is Jesus has some of these people in his own family. I just want to look at four of them real quick. First one, first one, Tamar. Tamar. Why Tamar? If you go back to Genesis chapter 38, you learn that Judah had a son named Ur. And Judah arranged for Ur to be married to a young lady by the name of Tamar. The, the Bible tells us that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so God put him to death. So Judah tells his other son, Onan, to take Tamar and provide offspring for his brother. Onan goes into his sister-in-law, yet he wastes his seed. Y'all follow me? Say yes. That was determined to be wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord put Onan to death too. So Judah, daddy, told Tamar, he says, you live with me, until my youngest son comes of age. His youngest son comes of age, yet he had not been given to Tamar. So Tamar decided to take matters into her own hands. She heard that her father-in-law had gone somewhere to shear sheep. So she took off her mourning clothes, her widow's garments, and she covered herself with a veil. When Judah... Uh, entered the city gate, she was sitting there. He didn't recognize his own daughter-in-law. He thought she was a prostitute. And so he said, come and lay with me. He bought a night with her. And she told him that if you were going to have me, y'all, this isn't the Bible. Y'all think I uh, put this, got this from HBO or something. This is the Bible. She told him, she said, you're going to have to give me a pledge. So he gave her his signet, his cord, and his staff as a pledge. As a result of that one night, she became pregnant by her father-in-law. She became the mother of twins, Perez and Zerah. This in Jesus' family line. By the way, Tamar, put this in, put this in, put a pen here. She was not an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. Let's look at somebody else. There's another, there's another surprise in this list. Verse 5, there's another woman there by the name of Rahab. Who was Rahab? If you go back to Joshua chapter 2, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab allowed two spies from Israel who were sent by Joshua to lodge in her house. And when the king of Jericho found out about these spies, he told Rahab, he said, I want you to let them out. And Rahab, she told him, uh, uh, they, they, she had already hidden these spies, and she told the king of Jericho, she said, they, when it got dark, they went on the run. But actually, she had hidden, him, hidden them on her roof. So in this family line, 
we see another woman who was a prostitute and was Canaanite. Let's look at another one, another surprise. Very next clause, Ruth. Ruth was also not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. Now, I'm going to disappoint you. Ruth's story is not as scandalous as Tamar and Rahab. However, there is debate among scholars whether Ruth seduced Obed or not. One more. There's another unusual character in the line of Jesus. Look at verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by, here it is, the wife of Uriah. Now, now this, this, this cold-blooded right here. They don't even list her name. They just call her the wife of Uriah. But we know from the Old Testament that this individual is Bathsheba. Question, why not list her name? Because the focus is on the ethnicity of these individuals. Bathsheba, she was actually an Israelite. However, she married Uriah, who was a Hittite. Thus, Bathsheba, by marriage, was regarded as a Hittite. That's her ethnicity. What's her story? Uh, she had an adulterous relationship with King David. And King David had her husband, Uriah, killed. Four women, at least three of them, of questionable character in the line of Jesus Christ. What, 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 Brandon, why point out that there are women? Well, just all you have to do is read the text. It says, Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered uh, Jacob. And it keeps going, fathered, 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 fathered. The focus of the genealogy is normally the fathers, the men. It is really unusual for women to be listed in a Jewish genealogy. But yet Matthew intentionally includes these women in his genealogy. They're women, they're scandal. What is Matthew saying to us by including these women? I think Matthew wants to show us that this genealogy of Jesus drips with grace. First, we must see all four of these women are foreigners. They are non-Israelites. Yet they play pivotal roles in the origin of Jesus as a human being. Matthew is showing us clearly that Jesus came not only to save Jews, but he also came to save Gentiles. You missed a good spot to say amen. You ought to amen, high-five your television right now, your computer screen. Jesus came to save all people. And as the son of Abraham, it is through Jesus that all the families of the earth are blessed. 
That's actually why when we go to the end of Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. He came to save all people. Jesus, that that's what this genealogy teaches us secondly, is Jesus came to save all people. But I think Matthew also includes these unusual characters because not only were they foreigners, but they clearly were sinners. And it's not just the women, all right? Don't, don't come for me. Let me make it clear. It's not just the women who are sinners. It's the men, too. There are evil kings in the line of Jesus. Watch this. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Jehoshaphat entered into alliances with wicked men. Hezekiah showed the treasures of Israel to her powerful enemies who later plundered them. Isaiah became proud, entered the Lord's temple to burn incense on the altar, which was reserved for the priests. Evil men are also in the line of Jesus. You got evil men. You've got uh, these, these women over here. Matthew is making one thing very clear. What, this is what Paul said in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You missed a good spot to say amen. But here's the truth. Jesus came for regular old sinners like you and me. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. I'm so glad that Tamar is in the, the, the line of Jesus. I'm so glad Rahab is there. I'm glad Ruth is there. I'm glad Bathsheba is there because that means there's hope for sinners like you and me. What this genealogy teaches us is there's hope for the lion, there's hope for the cheater, there's hope for the thief, there's hope for the pride, there's hope for the envious, there's hope for the violent, there's hope for the prostitute, there's hope for the drunk, there's hope for the adulterer, there's hope for the murderer, there's hope for the rebellious, there's hope for you. So then, what, what, what do we do as a result of this genealogy? I think Matthew would just have us acknowledge and recognize Jesus as the true king. Recognize Jesus as the true king. And this king is like no other king. The Jews, they expected their king to come with all military might and power and deliver them from the oppression of Rome. But this king, when he came the first time, came not as a law and order king, but he came as a suffering servant. So what I think the call for us is to recognize Jesus as king. If Jesus is king, then we owe our allegiance to him as king. What we're going to hear clearly as we continue to study the book of Matthew is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Since Jesus is king, we must surrender our hearts 
all of our being to Jesus. We must come under his rule. Secondly, we need to accept the grace of God. Accept the grace of God. This passage drips with grace. God ruled and overruled people to make sure Jesus came as a son of David the son of Abraham. Unlikely characters are found in the family tree of Jesus. This, this is free. I won't charge you for this. Some of us have some messed up families. Some dysfunctional families and family members. God is still sovereign. God is still working in the midst of all of that dysfunction. No family is perfect. Even Jesus' family, he didn't have the perfect family. So my prayer is that this is somewhat of encouragement and hope for those of us who are dealing with familiar issues right now. But grace is extended to each and every person. There's someone maybe on this live stream or in this room that needs to hear that there's grace for you. You are a great sinner. You deserve great punishment. Good news is that Jesus came to save sinners like you and I. And he did that by dying in your place, dying your death, taking your punishment, dying on the cross, buried, and rose victoriously from the grave on the third day. So that now we can say we are saved by grace. Through faith. Jesus has done all the work. We simply respond by putting all of our belief and our confidence and our trust in him. There's somebody else. You, you're saved, you're a believer. You still need to accept the grace of God. You're burdened with guilt and shame. Love it. The good news is you can't out-sin the grace of God. Your sin may be great. God's grace and mercy is greater. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the lessons that we've learned even through the family tree of Jesus Christ. God, settle it into our hearts that Jesus is king. Jesus rules. 
and Jesus reigns. Help us, God, to respond appropriately to that truth. God, thank you so much for your grace, for giving us what we don't deserve, for loving us even when we are unlovely, for for saving us from our sins. Father, if there's someone under the sound of my voice who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, spirit move, convict, convict, 